Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Less Doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back to Less Doing Podcast, episode 149 with Julie Armet of Tarkify. Good morning, Felix. Good morning. Good morning. We are so close. We're almost at episode 150. That's nuts. It is. We are, you know, maybe there. But that, mean, that means we've done like 70 episodes together, I think. I know. It's crazy. It's amazing. So, yeah. uh, well, very happy to have you along for this journey. This journey into nice. cyberspace and podcasting and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, let's, get to the, uh, let's get to the links. I got a few of them. So, the first one is uh, we got a really cool thing going on. I did this this course with change collective and they are uh it's a habit building service so habit building habit breaking service so they have a couple different courses and what they're doing is they're combining expert content with real coaching uh not coaching so much sorry uh, accountability so it's like a real person that's providing accountability so they have like a get up early course for instance and i did i did an inbox zero course with them and first of all anybody who's come who came to the live event will have uh, gotten this as a bonus. So they all should have received that by now, first of all. But uh, if you haven't, you can go over to Change Collective and sign up for it. It's really cool. And they've been getting such cool feedback and testimonials. And uh, there's a, a blog post that I linked to called 3,000 Emails to Zero in Three Days. Now, this is one of many. Uh, in fact, somebody tweeted me the other day that he went from 20,000 to zero. In about four days and it's just so gratifying to see that kind of thing and wow. I always talk about how email is such a you know inbox zero is so important so mm -hmm. check it out because it is this the way that they've delivered this content it really really works I'm I'm is super this, impressed is this the course they're offering at the bottom of this email uh, of this page which page the, oh, yeah, 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 yes, of course. Yeah. So it's a 10-day course on your iPhone. You get daily lessons from me, and there's a live coach to help you follow through. So uh, it's it's really good. It really, really did a good job. You learn all the methods that I use, uh, and then you're going to be basically getting texts, and people are going to, you know, you're, you get a text from a coach that's just like, okay, it's time for your first practice session. Check out this video and then dive in, and then that person might ask some questions, but they're going to get real support from people making sure that you actually hit Inbox Zero. Okay, yeah it's really 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 great and it will it'll change your life <clears throat> it is it's one of the best things i use the um the mailbox app has really helped me right, achieve that, but, that really, but really um you've got to check out ari's techniques because i really applied all of that and then just used the mailbox app to um to to make it easier to to do that but yeah it's, it's all the same thing yeah, yeah yeah no totally yeah uh, so the next one is there is an article on Gizmag uh, called it's about modified salmonella as a way of fighting cancer. So this is pretty cool. So salmonella, most people should know salmonella from uh, raw eggs or chicken. That's a, a nasty uh, bacteria that can give you food poisoning and make you uh, pray to the porcelain gods for a certain amount of time. But they've actually this is not a new technique, but it's a new use, I guess, for the salmonella bacteria. But essentially what they're doing is that. 
they have found that certain strains of salmonella can actually kill off cancer cells. But they'd have to they have to modify them so they didn't also make the person sick. So they've actually created genetically modified salmonella that only turns toxic after it enters a tumor. It is. It is I I I um I think it's this particular blog. I follow it. Um it just seems like <laughs> I mean it seems too good to be true. Is this is this really possible? And it's certainly possible. My, my question with this is like, what is there like? Are they doing this? Is you know how are they? Or is this like a? Um, is this a sort of hypothetical? No, so it's not a hypothetical. Right. It's they have not done human trials yet, but okay. that that doesn't bother me so much because, <clears throat> especially with cancer, there is a, so much research that's done on animals that's effective and then brought over to humans, but. What's interesting about this is that the idea of using bacteria or viruses uh, mm-hmm. as a carrier mechanism, like there, I, I can't remember what it is now, but there was actually something where they used a deactivated HIV virus in order to uh, attack something else because of the way it, 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 the problem with fighting cancer in most cases, and I'm, I'm certainly not an oncologist, but my understanding is that it's very hard to identify or at least to target just the healthy cells with, or the, I'm sorry, just the cancer cells without then also hurting the healthy cells. It's one yeah. of the it's one of the problems with radiation. One of the problems with chemo. You know, chemo yeah, is both. chemo basically just hurt, gets your whole body, and it's just it's very hard on the body. Yeah, of course. So, uh, it, it, it this is definitely a real method, and it's pretty amazing. The thing is, is it, it is. It, it doesn't necessarily work for all cancers, of course, uh, but even if it works on some, it's, it's very, very promising research. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. I mean, go on. So anyway, I just thought it was, it was great. Yeah. Um, so there is an article also on, I'm sorry, I opened the study there. Oh, no, no, there's not an article. It's, uh, oh, no, yeah, it was an article. So this, this is fascinating. It's, there's a website called Rational Wiki, and it's um, it's a it's it's Wikipedia, but it's for like I guess all sorts of things that are like they have the vaccine stuff on there, vaccine and autism, like all sorts of hypotheses. So this is a really That's cool one that actually seems like it's true. So have you have you heard about the thing with Roe versus Wade about abortions and uh, and crime? Uh, not about the link with crime. No, go ahead. Okay, so this this was put out. I think it was put out in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, first time. But basically, what they were saying was that Roe v. Wade happened in I think it was 1979 or 80, and essentially crime started to drop around the end of the 90s and continued to drop from that. And what they're basically saying in that hypothesis is that the the women that were suddenly able to abort were aborting children that would more likely turn to crime because the women that, you know, they were underage or they were in at-risk situations, and those were the ones that were more likely to produce uh, households that would produce children that would then grow up into criminals, which is, uh, the timing kind of works out. Like, that was when they would all be, like, 18 years old, essentially. But mm-hmm. it's it's a weird, it, it, it's a very hard link to make. Yeah, because there are so many factors. There's so, so many factors. Economic um the socioeconomic, yeah, there's tons of things. So, exactly. but this hypothesis that I'm about to tell you about <clears throat> actually <throat> kind of makes sense. And I read the study a couple times. So, this is basically saying that lead exposure is what changes the is is what has caused the lowering in crime. And basically, because 
and it's a fact that lead exposure as a child, whether it's to water or uh, paint, reduces your ability to basically have impulse control, which is very well correlated to crime, you know, because a lot of us might like to commit a crime where we might like to hit somebody with our car or steal something, but we don't because we have impulse control. And a lot of the criminals that do do those crimes don't have impulse control. It's a lot of times when you're watching like cops or something and you're you're saying to yourself, like, how can that guy be so stupid not to know that that was going to happen, you know? Mm -mm. So what they've shown is this really compelling link between lead exposure and and these crimes and basically you know lead became illegal essentially in like 1978 and that you couldn't have it on in paint and all these things but the biggest one apparently was leaded gas and what they show the reason that this is so interesting is that this holds up in other countries other this holds up like globally basically so they can do this correlation to when lead was taken out of uh, gasoline, which happened later in other places than the U.S., I believe, <clears throat> and uh, and they're showing this lag uh, in drops in crime. It's kind of amazing. So uh, it, it, this one is really hard to argue with. And what I like about this rational wiki site is they yeah. actually give alternate explanations and why it doesn't make sense. So they show abortion and birth control access, uh, access as an alternate explanation, and they say that uh, – um, uh, basically, oh, the, oh. By the way, it wasn't Malcolm Gladwell; it was Freakonomics. But uh, they said that the first is that it's not strictly casual. Uh, for example, cause precedes effect. Crime rates were going up before Roe versus Wade, and the second is that it's not internationally expandable. So, for example, the Abortion Act of 1967 in the United Kingdom, all but legalizing abortion, occurred well before Roe. Uh, Roe, but the UK had a surge in crime after the United States peak though only by a couple of years. And contrary to that, Canada experienced tighter restrictions in legalized abortion from, this, from 1969 to 1988, but had a crime wave similar in duration, peak, and decline of that in the United States. So what, basically what they're saying is that the, the abortion crime hypothesis only works in America, so it, that, which means it doesn't really work. Mm. So, and what they're <clears> saying <throat> is a more plausible hypothesis is that greater availability of birth control in general may have caused a decline in the crime rates. And as more people used birth control in the late 1960s and 70s, fewer unwanted children were born into unfortunate circumstances. So it's, uh, it's pretty, it's really a compelling argument, I have to say. Yeah. And, I mean, if, if it's true, then, I mean, crime should continue to go down kind of everywhere because there's really no lead exposure in most places now anyway. Yeah, right, right. Right. Fascinating stuff. But beyond that, I would recommend everybody look at this rational wiki site. It's really, really cool and presented in a very non-biased way. Okay, cool. Yeah. I did not know about it. That's really cool. And it looks just like Wikipedia as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I hadn't known yeah. about it either. Oh. Um, so the next one is called Text a Nerd. <laughs> actually, it's, oh, yeah? actually, it's just called Nerd. Text um, Nerd to me. So basically, all these there's all these sites now and services that are just text-based, which is really amazing because... Yeah. You know, you talk about how it's so cheap to start a company now. Literally, just to do a text-based business, you need a Google Voice number and just the labor to respond to whatever the requests are. Right. So, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. it's true. You know, they can text a Google Voice number and you do it. So, yeah, right. um, you know, you have services like uh, Magic and Go Butler and stuff like this. So this is text a Stanford student. And you can do things like... Uh, really? Yeah. You can have them review your college essay. Uh, you can have them help you with math homework. You can have them. Uh, oh, so, so so this would be like for 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 anything. Yeah, basically, you're texting a smart Stanford student. That's what you're getting. I thought this would be a great way to provide like 
tech support. Because um, oh, that's well, funny for my parents. This is like the first things. Like who's who are who's generally good at computers? Like the younger generation, right? So what we need to do is put those guys in touch with the older generation, like our parents. So instead of when our parents call us, we need to just put them in touch with these guys. And surely somewhere along the line, they're going to um, going to help each other out. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, um, billion dollar business idea, of course, waiting in the works. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, there's a, another site called um, it's called ASAP Tasks, and this, this is new. They haven't launched yet. But I like the idea. It's basically like TaskRabbit, but using people in your neighborhood. So uh, everything from house cleaning to moving to furniture assembling to dog walking, shopping delivery. Basically, it's like uh, connecting. It's it's like Uber for TaskRabbits, which is kind of what TaskRabbit is, except that this is uh, localized. So, you know, there might be six. Yeah, I signed up for this already. I saw this in the show notes. And um, I fill my info and uh so but i doubt they're going to be active in in my area because i'm not in like a metropolitan area well you but never know you never know never but, yeah uh so that's cool and then uh there's an article yeah as soon, as soon as i saw house cleaning on there i was like you know let's give this a try yeah <laughs> see if there's someone around yeah um so this is another medical daily article that doesn't tell you anything new but supports things that we talked about before uh it says the mental health benefits of probiotics good bacteria may improve mood and fight depression so uh we've talked before many times about how the gut is the second brain in the body and how you have a ton of neurotransmitters in your body serotonin dopamine everything's in your in your gut as well so if your gut bacteria is messed up it's going to affect your mood and one of the things that affects your gut bacteria is sugar so i can tell you for a fact that when i have sugar in my diet i'm definitely like more uh i'm less stable my emotions are less stable it's, there's no question and this oh. is this is one of the reasons uh d- too much sugar in your diet actually disrupts your gut bacteria's ability to communicate with each other believe it or not oh, really? yes and you know what you know what helps your what? uh your gut bacteria communicate really well what butter oh really yeah butyrate huh. or butyrate rather which is in which is what butter's named for is uh one of the things it's like a signaling mechanism between between them. running yeah no game huh. so there you go um okay and then the last one i want to mention this is just a cool one if you work with a remote team it's called squiggle wait 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 can, can, can i just ask you about what what probiotics what exactly what examples are there other than like greek yogurt that oh, sure. Well, I mean, you, you should, first of all, you, you really should take probiotics. Like I, I take Prescript Assist, which uh, is really a really, uh, it's like got 29 different strains in it. It's, it's one of the, it's the best probiotic I think I've ever used and I use it religiously. But if you want to get it naturally, uh, yeah. yeah, so we're talking about fermented foods then. So uh, yogurt, although yogurt is really not a very good uh, source of probiotics unless you're making it yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, kefir would be better even. Yeah, uh, sauerkraut, kombucha, miso. Think of anything that's like fermented pickles, actually, even. And uh, uh, sort of anything that like you can ferment. So you can you can pickle vegetables. That would actually count as one too. But sauerkraut is actually one of the easiest ways to make your own probiotics. Uh, And um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna check that out because I think that is. that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
and then the last thing, I, so this is called Squiggle. Now, this is for service. This is like if you work with a remote team. It's a really cool idea. Basically, what it is is you have a, it's, it's a video chat thing. Well, it's not even a chat so much, but it's basically you have your webcam on all the time at your desk. And if you have a team that's, you know, one person's in New York and one person's in the Philippines mm. and one person, you can see the person working. And you can sort of always be there. And is it like an app on your computer so you can see all of your, your exactly so it basically yeah. it's basically like anti-isolating essentially yeah i see which is really great so it's uh it's nice i think it's a really nice thing it will show it just gives you sort of that connection and then if you need to talk to somebody really quick you don't even have to like necessarily call them up if they're sitting at their desk you can see it and just ask them a quick question it's cool yeah yeah very clever idea very clever i think so so uh Cool. That's all we got for today. So let's... you know, I, I actually have a question. Yeah. For you, the notes and it's actually from I think it was in forty nine. Um, sorry, the the episode before, and I don't think we spoke about it. Ten everyday items uh, we throw away. Yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah. What, yeah. What I, I thought I, I was going to bring that up, but I almost felt like it was too obvious. But I guess not. Tell me what you think. Well. Um, no, I mean, this is, well, first of all, the artificial sweeteners, are there any, like they talk about, um, such as aspart- aspartame and sucralose, um, does stevia fall under that category or not? Does what? Stevia. Oh, no. Stevia, so real stevia, like yeah. if you get non-GMO stevia, which is, which is erythritol actually is what, what stevia really mm-hmm. is. Uh, uh, wait, wait, is, is that right? No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, Steve, <laughs> no, Stevia is Um So yes, it's, uh, it, 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 Stevia is fine, um, mm-hmm. because it, it doesn't have the same, uh, it doesn't cause the same spikes in blood sugar and whatnot, but the, the, okay. the best sweetener, if you're going to use a sweetener, <clears throat> is xylitol. Oh, xylitol. Okay. Yeah, okay. And, and xylitol is... Yeah, xylitol doesn't in, encourage any sort of bacterial growth in your mouth. It doesn't cause a spike in blood sugar. It's not really digestible, so you you also can use a lot less of it to get the sweetness. Um, so if you're going to use a sweetener, xylitol is probably the way to go. However, okay. however, uh, you can't. I, I don't think you can really effectively bake with xylitol. So for a general, like all-purpose sweetener, stevia would be the way to go. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. Question is the plastic food bottles and containers. Um, it always can I mean, when I'm using a, you know, like a like a microwave meal, the plastic on um, you know on the top of the. Do you have any thought? Yeah. So unfortunately, anytime you heat plastic, it's going yeah. it's going to break down. And it will break down with BPA, and it's it's really it's not it's not like the end of the world, honestly. And you know, it, but it's really it's something you really really do want to avoid because um, if you it, heating it in any way, so whether you're microwaving it or uh, even washing it in the dishwasher necessarily. Now, not mm. not for everything. Like Tupperware is meant to be washed in the dishwasher, but some people will try to wash like plastic water bottles in the dishwasher, and that actually will cause them to break down it's not oh really yeah not a good idea okay and um so anytime you heat it at all i mean to what sort of temperature i mean does does it have to be visibly break i mean will you see it breaking down or what Um, uh it's i I, you know that's a good question i think different ones are different temperatures but Hmm. pretty much 
if you're heating it enough to cook something or reheat something like in a microwave, then it's, it's going to cause it to break down. Uh, okay. So avoid uh, that if you can. You know, microwave things in microwave safe <coughs> containers or, uh, or, you know, or porcelain plates or things like or even paper plates are fine. Yeah. Do you use glass or anything? Or do you... Glass is fine do too. You, glass is probably... Do you use regular... Well, what do you use for like food containers? To, to store food? Mm-hmm. Uh, we usually use, we have those, uh, snapware, the glass ones. Yeah. The glass ones are, are what we, although, you know, but those have plastic tops to them. However, it's, it's okay to store it in there, of course, yeah. as long yeah. as it's not piping hot when you put it in. And again, you, so. you know, you can get really, really anal about this, obviously, but, um, generally speaking, as long as it's not really, 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 really hot, it's not going to break down the plastic and it's okay. But glass is better anyway. Glass is just non-porous. It's easier to clean. It's, it's usually uh, you'll have less bacterial issues. I see. And finally, my only question, I mean, the other stuff is very obvious as well, so it explains very well. Um, do the, the commercial cleaning products, do you, do you buy into that at all? Or? Yeah, so um, like for instance, we use a lot of method soap products in the house and, and honestly, like method dishwashing soap just does not work as well as dawn i'm sorry <laughs> like it just uh, okay. doesn't dishwashing uh, yeah okay. yeah but that does that's not to say that all like non-commercial products are are, are bad uh if you're going to use commercial cleaning products you just really want to make sure you're in a really well ventilated area that they're not touching any food that you're not like you know kids aren't going to be licking them or anything like that um it, they do a better job honestly but uh yeah it's true that a lot of them are going to contain really nasty chemicals that can have uh, endocrine disrupting uh factors to them so it, it's it's sort of a toss-up honestly like you can you know the thing is also you could be the cleanest like toxic free person you want and you might still get cancer like it's just that's the way things work right so it's sort of like uh, yeah it's a cost-benefit analysis like if you're using it sort of carefully and like not every day like you know somebody who who is like a janitor and uses commercial cleaning products all day every day that's somebody who would probably want to be really careful but, yeah. Um, if you're just using it in your house, sort of, at, you know, sometimes, then just take precautions. I see. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. No, oh, those are good you. questions. Thank you. Um, so, all right. Well, everybody, enjoy the interview with with uh, Julie Armet. This is really cool. Talkify basically outsources the process of dating. So uh, it's it's like a matchmaking service meets Match.com. So uh, enjoy this interview. It was really fun. And uh, Felix, I will see you soon. Okay. And now for feature interview. So now I'm speaking with Julia Armet, who is the head of operations, the lead for Talkify. And we're going to find out what Talkify is. So, Julia, first of all, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Of course. Thank you, Ari. I'm excited to be here. So, uh, first of all, tell everybody what Talkify is. Talkify is a dating concierge. So, when you conceptualize it, it is this middle ground between online and offline. So although it is an online site, Talkify.com, what it is, is a real world service. So we take people from online to offline, but they come to us from online. Okay. So now I have not been in the dating world for well over a decade at this point. And it's, it's been, as a married man, it's really been fascinating to me to see how that, how uh, dating has evolved in in so many different ways. So, um, where first of all, I mean, 
where, where did this idea come from? Is it just, I think it's kind of amazing that we got to this point, I guess, where there's so many options for online dating that you need a dating concierge to sort of help you navigate it. Yeah, for sure. I think that because there are so many different options and because a lot of the time when people are online dating themselves, they feel like they're oversaturated into this online dating world. What we're trying to do is preserve that old fashioned blind date in the midst of this social mediated age where so many people have extensive networks online. And so what we do is we give people an opportunity to outsource their dating life. And when they come to Talkify, Talkify is a human curated service where they work one-on-one with a matchmaker and the matchmaker's responsibility is to provide them with two introductions per month. So when the matchmaker meets up with the client, whether they do it over video chat or if they do it in person, it's really about identifying the criteria. And then from there, the person is outsourcing their dating search to the dating concierge. It makes it different than other dating sites because on other dating sites, you're on there, the, you're on there yourself and you don't necessarily have the same um, perspective. So with, with someone making a decision on their own of who they want to meet, it really debilitates them. And there's two reasons why. Do you want to guess what those reasons are? <laughs> uh, too many options? Is that one? Well, well, first off, a lot of the time there are so many options that they feel overwhelmed. But yeah. mainly with this visually oriented dating culture, people are on these sites and swiping or just perusing through profiles. And they revert to a shopping mentality, meaning... They see right. so many photos that they often overlook people just based on how they appear in a photograph. And so overlooking a potential match with, with someone who is a strong fit, that's one reason why dating online yourself isn't necessarily most productive. The other reason is if you see someone's photograph and it's visually stimulating to you, you might waste the time of going to meet that person in real life to realize that that person did not meet up to your expectations. Yeah, it's funny because a friend of mine, uh, well, a friend of my wife's actually is is with a dating someone who she told me today. She said that she's never been more attracted to somebody in her life, but she she doesn't think that he's particularly good looking, and she would have never found herself like being interested in him otherwise. And so that's obviously, I mean, I'm sure that happens quite a bit. And then I heard this story on NPR the other day. Uh, this woman actually did a little. It was a comedian, but she did an experiment to see how bad she could make her profile with a really hot picture to see like what effect that had. And apparently like she made herself like a racist and like a, a, a not just like a, not like just a horrible person. And that didn't seem to matter. People were still just basing it on the photo. It seemed like, so that's, it's yeah, I think point. that. And this is, this is just a generalization, but I feel like men can be very visually oriented. And so to go into something blind is a huge risk for them, but the thing about going into something with zero preconceived ideas, there's nothing to lose. So by preventing the mind from having any preconceived ideas going into the dates, these people are going into these dates with no expectations. Right. So, and then uh, are they like, what kinds of things does uh, one of your matchmakers sort of need to find out or what, what what are the metrics that they look for in figuring out like who you are and, and what would be a good match? 
Well, generally, the welcome meeting, it's really about understanding that person's personality and also understanding their energy. Because energy is an intangible quality, and it's something where you cannot really assess that if you're just conversing with someone online or just reading someone's profile. So the extent um, to which meeting with the matchmaker benefits you is the intangible factors are given consideration. So whatever dynamic the matchmaker might have, with the client, that has weight in addition to things such as um, what their criteria are. So if they say that they need to date someone who is between the ages of 35 and 45, doesn't have to, um, d doesn't doesn't have kids, d doesn't have any ex-wives, like they specify their criteria. <laughs> okay, uh, so well, that's funny to me too. I mean, I. I Personally, I mean, again, I can't necessarily put myself in a very accurate situation like this because I, I have been married for a while. But I, I, to me, like, I, I would never think of an age necessarily that I that made that I needed to be with. Like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't picture mm -hmm. myself being like, I need to. Well, be with you know what? I think that the less much. criteria you have, the better it is. So, I think that's well, great. That's interesting. That you know. That's interesting. Um, okay, and then. You know, my understanding, at least again from my limited experience, is that uh, their different dating websites are sort of have different uh, outcomes to them in a lot of cases. Like eHarmony, I've heard, is for a lot more for the people who really want to get married, and Match.com is for people who want to just hook up. And I'm, I'm generalizing, of course, but so do you find that a lot of the people using your service are really looking for marriage, or they're looking for something else? Or well, with people coming to our service, if they are looking for marriage, what we yeah. quickly do is we we reset their expectations. What we can do for people is provide them with opportunities and improve their odds. So people come to us looking for marriage. People come to us looking for another partner. People come to us looking for just better dates than they're receiving. So it runs the gamut in terms of expectations, but we're pretty clear that what we're trying to do for you is just improve your odds when you could have potentially hundreds of dates each each week, because you're online and there's so many different options available, we're trying to just increase the probability of you connecting with somebody by presenting you with introductions to people who we feel like you share layers of compatibility with. I mean, yes. So it's on the, on the one hand, I'm almost shocked that more people don't use services like this, not just for dating, but for things in general. Like, for instance, uh, my wife and I just used our, the first, for the first time we used a service to try to find uh, a nanny. And we historically have had really bad luck finding nannies and it was always done directly. And, and actually, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to, to online dating. You know, you go to like care.com and you say the kind of nanny you want and when you, you know how many kids you have and all that stuff or Sitter City or all these other sites. And you're picking from profiles that they put up and it's exhausting. And a lot of times it really doesn't work out. So I, it's like people... Uh, if you're going to outsource it, like completely outsource it to somebody who not only can do it for you, but can do it better than you. Mm -hmm. You have to remember like the, the generation of young professionals these days, they grew up in the world of social media. And because of that, all of these tools that we have at our fingertips, it allows us to be better organizers. It allows us to be better networkers. It allows us to be better researchers because we have the, resources available to us that maybe a generation ago didn't exist. And so as a result of that, there are a lot more roles like virtual assistants or a virtual matchmaker, things where you're able to outsource 
a part of your life and productively and efficiently, like, get, get results back. So with you outsourcing your search for a babysitter to this site where you went on the site, you look at different profiles and identified who was the strongest fit. Um, it's easier than just putting ads up and walking and meeting people around a small town and meeting people for coffee to interview them before you actually introduce them to your kid because you're not sure if that person is going to be um, professional enough. But now you have reviews that you can see from previous people who have used that nanny or Reviews that you can see from people who have previously used your matchmaker, where it's kind right. of this Uber, where with Uber you're able to give ratings, and that rating will will then get the person off the road if they're not actually performing at the level that they need to be. So, do you find that the like what's the mix kind of in your client? If you can tell me between men and women, it depends on the city. So in San Francisco, it's more men, and in New York, it's more women. Oh, okay. That's that's pretty clear cut. Um, and then you guys also go ahead and plan the the dates, right? Yes. So we do a lot of research um, in the cities that we live to figure out the hot date spots, but we're also very creative. So instead of just sending people out to grab drinks, we tend to come up with some really cool designs. So these date designs are mystery dates, and we could be saying to someone, "Arrive underneath the arch." at 7 p.m. sharp and bring with you a lottery ticket. And then we could send them on a stroll and have them meet at a bar and have their first round. And after the first round, scratch their lotto tickets and whoever whoever wins picks up the tab. So we definitely come up with really creative concepts to make these dates a little um, adventurous because ultimately we're trying to take the attention off of the couple and put the attention onto the experience. And so instead of it being about this dynamic and having a lot of pressure, you're more focused on what you're doing in the activity. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that was sort of what I was going to ask next is like, what makes for the most effective kind of date, I guess, to, to really get to know somebody, uh, you know, as quickly and as deeply as I guess you can at that time. And so that, that, that's really interesting. So you're really curating an experience mm. as well. Did you read that article recently in the New York times? And it was talking about how to create um, a heightened level of intimacy, like just in a first encounter. No. It was talking about specific questions to ask to, to really just increase the level of intimacy between two people in a very short amount of time. And, what one of our matchmakers does is she takes the questionnaire that she found in the New York Times and she has both people read the questionnaire prior to going on the date so that when they do meet up, they can ask each other some really intimate questions. And by default, what happens is the other person becomes more vulnerable and with vulnerability, that increases the odds of falling in love. Yeah. And, okay. So that makes sense because uh, it, that also, I guess, speaks to the point that People are not necessarily very good at finding dates, but they're probably not very good at the at like being on a date either. Oh, people on dates, they make some big mistakes. And I think the number one mistake people make <laughs> is talking about dating. Ah, you mean like, like the kind of dating they've been doing or the, the experiences they've had? Talk about dating. So they could be talking about previous partners. They could be talking yeah. about the different dating sites like Tinder and they put their, they put 
puts in their mouths by just saying things to be funny when what it does is it exposes a lot about the type of person that they are and their dating style. Yeah, that's really funny. Okay, so like what what are a couple, maybe one or two of those questions that, that help you get to a more intimate level with somebody? Um, it's just, let me even, let me just pull this up for a second. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. One moment. I'm going to actually call upon one of the no, matchmakers no. to join the conversation so that she can tell, she can tell you about some of those questions. Hold on for a moment. Oh, great. Sure. Michelle, could you come here for a second? <laughs> My friend Ari is on the phone, and he is looking to know about the questions from the New York Times survey and the types of questions that increases the level of intimacy between the two people on the date. Oh, uh, the Arthur Aaron yes. um, essay? Hi, I'm Michelle. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Welcome to the Let's Doing podcast. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. Um, some of the questions would be, like, if you... If you could ask a crystal ball um, something about yourself in the future, what would that be and why? Um, another, it's Some of them are just statements, not just questions, but another one is, uh, do you have a feeling about how you're going to die? What is it and why? Um, That's a heavy topic for a first date. Well, you know, it's not, it's supposed to be like um, a way to accelerate vulnerability between two strangers. So sure. I think it's kind of like... If, if it's going to work, it's going to work anyway. It doesn't matter what questions you're, you're asking. And if it's not, it's not. You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, the crystal ball one is interesting, I guess, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who want to know if they're going to be rich in the future or something. That's probably very exactly. telling. Yeah. Or, and then, but then there are other questions like, um, what was another one? that It's like, do you value? It's like basically straight up is like wealth or it's like wealth or fame you know which one do you value more what do you want to be famous or do you just want to be successful in your field so it kind of is good to like kind of um basically incite questions or incite conversations about like people's goals dreams hopes aspirations aha uh -huh. okay that's mm -hmm. that's really cool well thank you, yeah. thank you. you're welcome i think it reveals a lot about the person's psychology and so it doesn't really matter what the question is I think it's the purpose of the question and so because what those questions are doing is it's arousing it's arousing conversation and the way that somebody responds to the question is what's more important than what the question actually is and the answer to the question right so it's probably it's like the conversation that sort of comes out of that uh, mm. but again I really like this again because you know part of the reason that I wanted to have you on here in terms of less doing is one, you're outsourcing the dating process, but two, you're, you're really making it much more efficient. And if you can get, it, it's almost, it's not speed dating, but you're getting to the heart of what you need to know about somebody in a way. And, and as you said, that, that vulnerability, that's, that's really interesting to me too, is that creating a scenario where you're vulnerable is, I, I guess the most, uh, the most eye opening. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. I think it's the hardest part about falling in love. Sometimes people have their guards up. Especially in a city like New York. I can't necessarily speak for San Francisco as well, but in New York, there is a facade and people need to break through that facade in order to get past just the first date. And in so many instances in New York, I just see people going on first date after first date. Um, and there's a pattern that they can't really overcome. And so by changing it up and if that model of just going out and grabbing drinks isn't working, we're going to send them to do something a little more adventurous and less 
less normal, so to speak, so that they're not just repeating the pattern that they're stuck in. And, and how do you have any idea, like how often you get it right the first time? <laughs> well, the measure of success is in terms of if people opt to go on a second date, and so that varies week to week. Sure. But it last week was sixty percent of the people who went out opted to see each other again, and that would indicate mutual liking. So it fluctuates based on the matchmaker. It also fluctuates based on the week, but our. Our goal is to improve the odds for when people meet up on their first date of whether or not they want to see each other again. So if we can introduce two people who share enough compatibility to see each other again, that's our measure of success. Sure. And I mean, I feel like with the process that you're taking people through, the, even a, uh, you know, a quote unquote failure, it, it, it's probably not a waste of their time. Like it's probably going to be a nice conversation at least mm -hmm. or something, you know, that, like, because I know that there's people, there's definitely dates that people go on, but they just can't wait to like get out of there. And so, yeah. And so what we say to that is every date is an opportunity to calibrate and the feedback is the most valuable part. So after each date, you have a feedback session with your matchmaker just to discuss what works, what doesn't work. And it really helps to improve the quality of the dates moving forward. And it makes the matchmaker better understand who that person is as the experience continues. So from each date, you are able to get something out of it, whether it's an exercise in self-awareness, an exercise in vulnerability, or just um, you being able to convey to your matchmaker more information about what your type would be. It's often hard to really um, specify what your criteria is in that first welcome meeting with the matchmaker, but as the experience continues and each date, each date happens, the matchmaker is able to better calibrate. Sure, okay, and then, Let's talk a little bit about your role, you know, in terms of developing matchmakers, basically. Like, how, what is that like? I mean, so are you, were you a matchmaker? I used to be a matchmaker. And so when I was matchmaking, at, at the most, I had 30 clients and I was sending out about 60 dates a month. And at wow. that point, the, the co-founders said to me, Julia, we're growing very fast and we want to see the same style of matchmaking that you provide instilled in all of the new matchmakers. And it then became my, my prerogative to hire, train, and manage our team of matchmakers to provide that same quality experience that I was providing to my own clients. And that that teaches a lot of best practices. It requires me teaching a lot of technique. And the matchmakers each have their own perspective on love, and they also each have their own styles and work workflows. So there is no right or wrong way to matchmake, but my my prerogative is just instilling best practices into the matchmakers and ensuring that if a matchmaker isn't meeting the expectations that the client is looking for, I will then transition the client or um, work with that matchmaker to improve what areas they need to improve. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so I, I think that gives us a pretty good look into things, and I really appreciate that. So the, the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews, and I, I'm, I've never had a matchmaker on before, so I'm really interested to hear your take on this. But what are the top? What are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And this can be in any walk of their life, and you can interpret that how you like. But just three ways that people can be more effective. I think three ways to be more effective. The number one thing is be persistent. You have to follow up. You have to like be that. on top of everything. The other thing is be proactive. So you make the move before they make the move. And so what that shows is accountability. Um, the third thing is 
just treat people the way you want to be treated. I think that's a little bit cliche, but you have to have respect for people. And I think in a city like San Francisco and a city like New York, it's universal. With respect, that's how you can build relationships. Okay. That's that's great. Was I'm sorry, was that three? Yes, it was. First oh, one is yeah, be yeah. persistent. Second one is be proactive. And the third one is um, just treat people the way you want to be treated. With respect. Yeah, those are, those are three. You answered those really quickly. So those are really good ones. Um, okay, well, Julia, tell people where uh, people can find out more about you. Oh, I'm sorry, more about uh, Talkify and you. Well, you can go to Talkify.com. T-A-W-K-I-F-Y.com. And we have had some press in... Um, just different, different, different media. Like we've had um, Business Insider recently. We've also had a lot of press associated with L because our our co-founder E. Jean Carroll is the advice columnist for L Magazine. Yeah, which is which is great. So, and we're gonna have links to all this stuff in the show notes. So, uh, Julia, that was that was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about that, and uh, good luck with further matchmaking. Well, thank you, Ari. I appreciate you having me. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.